Alright. Our Lord and Master, we come before your throne of grace tonight. We thank you that as our the saints of God have gathered together, may we be instructed by you. We thank you that your word is going to be a blessing to us tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Alright, good evening guys. Glad to come your way again. Tonight we will continue our study on the book of Romans and this is the third installment. I hope you are enjoying the book whilst learning something from it. Last week we focused on the righteous side of God as a judge. So basically that was the whole chapter 2. And we realized that God judges justly and he will reward us according to our deeds. We also looked at Paul using the gospel to unify both the Jews and the Gentiles. I learned something. When you call yourself a gospel preacher, don't divide people. We already live in an atmosphere of divide and aristocracy. And that was the day of, of the Romans. You know, they saw some people as barbarians. They saw some people as intellectuals or Greeks, you know. But Paul used the gospel to unify both Jews and Gentiles especially in that atmosphere. And Paul dropped a bombshell on the Jews that, look, you guys, you are just as guilty as the Gentiles. Everything I mentioned from chapter 1, verses 18 to 32, you people, you are equally as guilty. It is not a Gentile thing. You know, the Jews at that time, they were likely to think that some of the things or the heinous activities and acts that the Gentiles did, it was more of a Greek thing. It's a Gentile thing. Uh, but Paul let them know it's not a Gentile thing, it's a sin thing, it's a sin issue. That, I, that was a shock value in his message. That's why the Jews couldn't accept the message because it was a message that brought the Jews as low to the standard of the Gentiles. And that was an ego deflation. It was very scandalous and offensive to the Jewish audience who were the seed of Abraham at that time. Do you, do you know what it takes during those times to call the seed of Abraham a sinner? These Jews, they believe that we are, the, we are the seed of Abraham. When we die, you see, these Jews, they believe that there is life after death. But they don't believe they will go to heaven. They believe they will go to a place called Abraham's bosom. And then looking at them, you will tell them that you are a sinner. It's very offensive, very sinful. But Paul further intimated that the law will not justify you. And that, that's why you are a sinner. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law will not save us from the wrath of God to come. We, we did establish that last week. That God is love, compassionate, merciful. God also is a righteous judge. And he will descend his wrath upon sin and uncleanness. So today in the last 10 verses of chapter 3, Paul talks on what will appease the wrath of God. Amen. So we, we have to understand there is something called the wrath of God. Amen. And today, the last 10 verses of chapter 3, we are going to look at God's appeasement to his wrath, which is the righteousness of God. And as Christians, if there is one subject that I believe we have to be schooled in and skillful, is the doctrine of righteousness. So with that said, let's start from verse 21 to 23. Of chapter, th- of chapter 3, verses 21 to 23 of chapter 3. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. So from this scripture, the righteousness of God is revealed not from the law. So if you are looking to the law to experience the righteousness of God, you will not get it. The Bible says that the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. So where is the, God, where is the righteousness revealed from? It is revealed from the gospel. And we looked at that two weeks ago. Now let's read Romans chapter 1 verse 16 to 17 again. 
It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, what's the it's there? The gospel. In this gospel is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, when we go back to Romans chapter 3, verse 21, it's saying that, by now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed. So Paul is trying to emphasize his message that if you want to experience the righteousness of God, you can't get that from the law. You will get it from the gospel. And then, he talks about how it works. It is revealed in the gospel and it is through faith in Jesus Christ. That works by belief. That's how you become righteous. So Paul was talking to these pockets of Jews in Rome that if you want to experience the righteousness of God, it doesn't come by observing the law. It doesn't come by observing the code of ordinances. It comes by believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, and it is by faith. Through that, you experience what is called the righteousness of God. It is revealed in the gospel, not revealed in the law. And just like we read last week, verse 21, the Bible lets us know that in the law is the knowledge of sin. The law doesn't reveal righteousness. The law reveals the knowledge of sin. The gospel, on the other hand, it reveals the righteousness of God. So today, if you want to really understand righteousness, it is not law-keeping. It is the gospel. What is righteousness then? Let's define righteousness. Now, righteousness was not a strange term. It, It wasn't even a biblical term. Righteousness is a term taken from the courts of their day. It's God's judicial determination to right every wrong. That's righteousness. It's God's gift to sinners, us, that he removes all condemnation and puts us in a state of justification. Now, what is justification? Justification is the state of being declared righteous. That is justification. So to understand justification, you need to understand righteousness. So justification is the state of being declared righteous. Now, what is the meaning of righteousness? Righteousness means that you have been acquitted of all your charges. You have been acquitted of the penalty of sin. You see, this this is what the gospel revealed. It's, It's wasn't revealed to us through the law. The law reveals to us the knowledge of sin. The gospel reveals to us the righteousness of God. And it is by faith in Christ Jesus. So we are right here. So when you experience this gospel, this is what happens. You are able to stand in front of God, man, and the devil without any sense of guilt because you have been acquitted. And that's very important. You are able to stand in front of God, the devil, and man. Very important. God will never accuse you. But there are many Christians who can't stand in front of God because they have the sense that God will accuse them. God will beat them on the head. God has a club. That's not God. You have to understand the gift of righteousness. The ability to stand in front of God. And when you come to him, you come boldly to that throne of grace. Hebrews chapter 4. You have to be able to stand in front of the devil without any sense of of guilt. Now, most Christians are able to deal with, I can stand in front of God without any sense of guilt. Many Christians struggle with standing in front of the devil without any sense of guilt, because the devil is the accuser of the brethren. But when you understand this gift of righteousness that has been imputed upon you, you are able to stand in front of the devil without any sense of guilt. And thirdly, the most difficult, 
I think this is even more difficult than the devil. Being able to stand in front of man without any sense of guilt. And sometimes that was Apostle Paul's challenge. Apostle Paul's challenge was not really against the devil. Apostle Paul's challenge was against men. Men who will want to refer him back to his past. That he will even have to quote scriptures like, I have wronged no man. I'm like, wow, Apostle Paul, we know your history. But it was important for him to affirm himself in the identity of, I am the righteousness of God. Otherwise, he could not really carry on his apostolic mandate and mission. So, righteousness, when we receive the gift of righteousness, the essence of it is that we are able to stand in front of God, in front of the devil, and in front of man without any sense of guilt because we have been acquitted. We are free of condemnation. And this comes from the preaching of the gospel. When the gospel is preached and you don't get this sense, you are not hearing the correct gospel. I'm afraid to admit to you tonight. If you are not hearing this sense of righteousness, which relieves you of your shame, relieves you of your sin, that you are able to stand in front of God, man, and the devil without any sense of guilt, knowing that you are acquitted, I submit to you tonight that you have truly not heard the gospel. And we just read it from the Bible. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation to whoever that believes, first to the Jews and also unto the grace. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. The just shall live by faith. The gospel should correct, not condemn. The gospel should reprove, not destroy. The gospel should instruct, but not put you in bondage. That is the gospel. And I submit to you that if you are, if you are really looking at the effects of the gospel and you are not seeing all these things, I must admit to you, you have not really heard the gospel. You haven't heard the gospel. And for me, I don't really care about how big your crowd is and numbers. Let me tell you something. This is my 12th year actively pastoring. There was a time I used to be impressed with the gold and the glitter of ministry and how big your ministry. I, I don't really, I don't have any interest in all these things. Because sometimes you can have these things, but if you're also not preaching the gospel, what, what sense does it really make? I, I believe it's high time that we come back to the Bible and preach what is really the gospel. And the only way you will find out whether the gospel is being preached is not really by the fruits, but you will have to compare scripture with scripture. So, the gospel. And why does the gospel of Christ need to be preached? Why? Because of verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So this scripture is not something that when you are a believer, you always have to be quoting. This scripture is in the context of when the gospel is being preached. Out of the gospel, you will experience the righteousness of God. God will right your wrong. And God will acquit you of all the penalty and the charges associated with sin. That you can walk in full freedom. For all have sinned. Now the all there is talking about the Gentiles and the Greeks. Because in chapter 1, Paul says that I need to come to Rome to come and preach. And the reason why I need to come to Rome to come and preach is because of certain activities that the Gentiles have been involved in. It was a setup, chapter 2. He says that, my friend, you are inexcusable. You can't judge your fellow Gentile when you yourself are involved in that sin. Chapter 3, he is saying that the gospel is where you experience the righteousness of God. And this message needs to be preached. Why? Because for all, both the Jew and both the Gentile have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's why the gospel needs to be preached. So the gospel needs to be preached because all have sinned. 
So when it's talking about all I have sinned, it's not talking about you, a believer, that has received Christ as your Lord and personal Savior and has been imputed upon you the gift of righteousness. He is not referring to you. He is referring to anybody else who has not heard the gospel. For all have sinned. Because sometimes I hear people quoting it. You are a believer. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's not, that's not referring to you. The reason why we have to preach the gospel is for all have sinned. So that's why the gospel has to go to our friends. The gospel has to go to our work colleagues. The gospel has to go to far and near home and away, the gospel has to travel. Why? Because all have sinned. It's not talking about you. You are the righteousness of God if you have received Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior. Amen. So, what will save us from the wrath of God on Judgment Day is not the law. What will save us from wrath on the Judgment Day is the gospel. And in this gospel, it's the righteousness of God revealed. That is what will make us saved. Verse 24 to 26. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of one who has faith in Jesus. Amen. So in this scripture, we see the power in the blood which justifies us through redemption. That is the reason for the celebration of Easter. God willing, Sunday coming is the start of the Easter week. That's why we celebrate Easter. We celebrate Easter because we see the power in the blood which has justified us through redemption. So let, let's just take our time and let's define some words here because I believe in the definition of words, we are able to get a bigger picture of the text. Now, I've already defined justification. It says we've been justified freely of his grace. What's the meaning of justify? Justify means the state of being declared righteous. So for you to understand justify, you have to understand righteous. What is being righteous? Righteousness means that God has right your wrong. You are not condemned. The penalty of sin is actually cancelled. You are not condemned. You, you walk in full acquittal. And because of that, you can stand in front of God, the devil, and man without any sense of guilt. You are acquitted. Please, if you are listening to me, don't let any man accuse you of your past sins. Don't let them refer to your past life. It is done and dusted with. That is the gift of the gospel. That is the power of the gospel. When we receive the gospel, we become free from every shame, from every guilt, of the enemy, the devil, and man. Nobody should accuse you anymore. Don't give that chance. I walk free in Christ. I am acquitted. And, and Paul, with that mindset, it helped him. Because Paul, wherever he, go, he went, his reputation preceded him. And the reputation that preceded him, you know, man is very funny. Why do we call the woman the issue of the woman with the issue of blood? She was healed, wasn't she? But why do we still call her woman with the issue of blood? She was healed. That, but that's how man is. Man will never refer to your positive side. Always will talk about the, the, the bad side. How many times did Thomas doubted in the Bible? I mean, when I read the Bible, he doubted only twice, but we still call him doubting Thomas. Do you, do you understand? So, man, man will always want to refer to something bad about your past. And that was what happened to Apostle Paul. They were not saying, oh, this great apostle who is coming, this great preacher who is coming, his reputation, and the reputation that followed him was, this guy was evil, this guy supervised in the killing of Christians, this reputation followed him. 
And perhaps that was why Paul had a very strong revelation on the gift of righteousness. Because this was what helped him to be able to fulfill his mandate and his mission for God. Understand the gift of righteousness. We have been justified. And you know what I like here? It is free. Our justification is free. We've been justified freely by his grace. Oh, it's free. Our justification is free. It's, It's free. No money, no gimmicks, no cost. It's free. No seed sowing. It's free. Nobody has the right to dupe you. It's free. You have been justified freely. At what price did did God pay for your justification? It's free. It's free. It's free. So, we are justified. It's a free gift. And not just that. We've been justified freely through redemption. What's the meaning of the word redemption? It's taken from the background of slavery and debt. You know, Paul is a very good teacher. Sometimes when you're a good teacher, you have to try and take terms that your people are familiar with and, and, and lace it with a spiritual truth. You see, the term righteousness and redemption, they are not necessarily Bible terms. They were things that were happening practically in their day. So when Paul says that, he, he just uses those terms to be able to unearth certain spiritual meanings so that the people will be able to relate it to their everyday life. So when you say the word redemption, that was not a spiritual word. You don't have to be spiritual to understand it. In their term, it, it was a background of slavery and death. And, and what did it really mean? It speaks of freedom and final deliverance from all aspects of sin. In, in, the, old, in the old times, when you, you owed and you couldn't pay, Every seven years in the Jewish calendar is known as Jubilee. That, so, so sometimes they will, they will auction your debts. They will auction things. And the rich people among you that will buy those things also buy your freedom. It's called redemption. So Paul was saying that you, we have not just been justified freely by grace. We have also been redeemed. And redemption in a spiritual sense meant that we have been delivered from all aspects of sin. So maybe you are thinking right now and you'll be asking me, so pastor, what's the difference between righteousness and redemption? There's a huge difference. Righteousness has to do with freedom from the penalty of sin. Redemption has to do with freedom from sin. Do you understand? So righteousness has to do with the penalty of sin. And what's the penalty of sin? You will walk in condemnation. The penalty of sin, the wages of sin is death. The penalty of sin, you are separated from God. And that's why you can't come in front of God. But righteousness affords us the ability to come in the presence of God because we have been acquitted of our charges. We, are, we don't experience separation. Righteousness acquits us from the accusation, from the slander, from, from, the, from the attack of the enemy. So we are righteous. Righteousness acquits us of man's uh, finger pointing and false finding. We have been acquitted. So righteousness has to do with freedom from the penalty of sin. Redemption has to do with sin in itself. We are free from sin because sin is like a debt. And that's why when Jesus Christ taught his disciples the Lord's Prayer, he said, forgive us our debts. Do you think he was talking about financial debt? He was talking about sin. Sin is a debt. So when, when, we, we, when we are redeemed, it has more to do with freedom from sin. I hope we all understand. Now, the blood was set forth by God as a propitiation. Now, what is the meaning of the word propitiation? Propitiation means atoning sacrifice. So what the scripture is trying to tell us is that being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, with God set forth as an atoning sacrifice by his blood through faith. 
So propitiation just means atoning sacrifice. And atone means to cover. Amen. So I want us to look at something when it comes to propitiation. Go with me to Leviticus chapter 16, verse 15 to 16. Christ's death was a sacrificial one, and it is the substance of the sin offering in the Old Testament to appease the wrath of a holy God upon sin. So Leviticus chapter 16, verse 15 to 16. In, in Leviticus, there are five main types of offerings. All these are shadows. It's, it's a prophetic picture of Christ's redemptive work. There is the sin offering, there is the trespass offering, there is the bent offering, there is the uh, grain offering, and then there is the peace offering, five. So all these are prophetic pictures or shadows of Christ's redemptive work. So right here, it talks about sin offering. So just look at it carefully. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people. Bring its blood inside the veil. Do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull. And sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. And so he shall make atonement for the holy place. This is oh, that's a, a propitiation. Because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel. And because of their transgressions for all their sins. So he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting which remains among them. In the midst of their uncleanness. Amen. So, if you want to understand the scripture, you have to start from chapter 16. It talks about the day of atonement. The day of atonement is done only once a year. And the offering that needs to take place is called a sin offering. So, a sin offering, you normally have two, two, uh, two animals, a bull and then a goat. A, a goat is more like the scapegoats. You speak all your sins upon it and then you kill it. So that, that becomes the sin. And then the bull is for something else. But now it's describing something. That the reason why the goat is killed. So that it will make an atonement for the holy place. The holy place is the holy of holies where the mercy seat is. The mercy seat is where you go. And you, are, you intercede, the priest intercedes on behalf of the people. And when God hears the prayer, you see smoke that comes out of the mercy seat, which means that your sacrifice has been accepted by God. You, you couldn't go there anyhow. You just went there once. And, and the reason for that was for atonement, to cover the people's sins year by year. So when you sin, just pray you don't die. Pray that you really make it because your, your, the confession of your sins is one year, one year. You know, when you, when you write your sins, write it down on a piece of paper and all that sort of thing because by the end of the year, so pray you don't die. <laughs> pray, pray you don't die <laughs> because it's only once a year, just once. So they do that and then when they do that, what they experience is called an atonement. And that's what Apostle Paul is saying. That Christ's blood became the atoning sacrifice, the covering sacrifice for our sins. But you know the beautiful thing? It's not year by year. Every day. Every day. The blood that gives me strength, it flows from day to day. It will never ever lose its power. It's not flowing from year to year. From day to day. It will never lose its power. Thank God for the blood. Christ's blood was shed so that it will become the covering sacrifice. It will become the remitting sacrifice. You see, Christ's blood doesn't just cover. It also remits. It remits our sins. It cleans it off completely. All this is made possible by the blood. So the sin offering was a shadow of Christ's sacrificial death on the cross. So what you read here is a picture 
of what we will experience next Good Friday. That will be 2nd April. This is the picture, the prophetic picture. Christ became the goods, that sin offering, that had to atone for the sins of the world. Amen. Now, I also want us to look at another scripture. Isaiah's prophecy concerning propitiation. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4 to 5. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4 to 5. And I read, Surely he has borne our griefs, and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. There's a loaded scripture. Griefs and sorrow in this verse refers to sicknesses that's both spiritual and physical. I mean, it's your choice. But if you are sick, you can either choose, I will be healed, or I'll stay with the sickness, manage it, and then take medication. That's your choice. But right here, we see that the scripture says that he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. That means he carried our sicknesses. He, he carried them. Not just a spiritual one, but physical. When you look at the Hebrew word. So, both spiritual. He's carried our spiritual sickness. And he has also carried our physical sickness. Yet, we esteemed him stricken. He was smitten by God and afflicted. Not smitten by the devil. Smitten by God. And there's a reason why God had to smite him. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. You deserve peace. Christ paid a very expensive price for you to experience peace. Number one, peace with God. And number two, the peace of God. It was an expensive price. It came at the cost of chastisement. And by his stripes, he had stripes. That's open wounds. By his stripes, we are healed. So why did this happen? He was stricken. He was smitten. He was afflicted. He was wounded. He was bruised. He was chastised. And he was striped. Look look at all the descriptions here. Why? Because of Romans chapter 3. So that God would demonstrate his righteousness. My God. God had to demonstrate his righteousness. And for God to demonstrate his righteousness, he had to smite his son. His son had to be stricken. His son had to be smitten. His son had to be afflicted. His son had to be wounded. His son had to be bruised, his son had to be chastised, and his son had to be striped. Seven things. So that God will demonstrate his righteousness, according to Romans chapter 3. And when you read Romans chapter 3 again, it says it. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as an atoning sacrifice, by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. God wanted to demonstrate his righteousness. And, and for God to demonstrate his righteousness, the price was very ugly. I don't know how many of us have watched The Passion of Christ. I must be honest, I've watched that movie only once, and I don't think I can watch it again. Because it was too raw and too real for me. Too raw and too real. It turned my stomach into knots. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 52, he was beaten and he didn't look like a man. 
You know, sometimes when, when I'm preaching, I always say that Jesus was not handsome. Sometimes when I say it, I don't know, maybe you think it's a sarcastic tone. But you know this Isaiah 53, when you read, I think, verse 2, the Bible said that Jesus was not handsome. He had no comeliness, he had no beauty. Just an ordinary man. He was just a plain guy. Just ordinary. There was nothing striking about him. Can you imagine with all these features, then you have been beaten on top and you don't look like a man. Can you imagine? That's Jesus. A heavy price. Why did Jesus have to go through all this pain, all this harsh and inhumane treatments? And that's why the, the passion of the Christ was able to capture it a bit. Because I don't think any movie can really capture that gory detail. He was beaten to the point that he didn't even look like a human. Isaiah 52. He didn't look like a human. Someone who has no calmness, someone who has no beauty, then he's beaten on top. He didn't look like a human. Why? So that God will demonstrate his righteousness. That's powerful. God wanted to demonstrate his righteousness. Now, why did God want to demonstrate his righteousness? There are two reasons for that. And it's in this scripture. Number one. Because in God's forbearance... God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Do you understand this scripture? That's why I said that in the Old Testament, the day of atonement was yearly. So you pray that you don't die. Because if you die, that means your sins were not forgiven. Now, God thought about all those people. Some sins were left unpunished because there was no penalty for that sin. That is why God had to demonstrate his righteousness so that he can be called a just God. Christ's death paid for all those previous sins that were not accounted for. That is why Christ had to die. That is why he had to suffer that death. Because the Bible lets us know right here in Romans chapter 3, that God passed over some sins because there was no penalty. You know, for, for there to be forgiveness, there has to be a penalty of the sin. And God thought about all those people. For this reason, the son had to suffer such affliction, even to the point being smitten by God. Why? So that those sins that God passed over, he will forgive. Because God is a just God. So that's why Christ had to suffer such suffering so that God would demonstrate his righteousness. And, and one way by which God demonstrated his righteousness, according to Romans chapter 3, is that those sins that he passed over, he forgave them. Because when Jesus Christ died on the sin, on the cross, he died for every sin of the world, including those whose sins were not paid for. It had no penalty. For this reason, Christ had to die. And then the second reason, so that God will be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. And that's why Christ had to die. So when we celebrate Easter, it is the celebration of justification. God wanted to demonstrate his righteousness. And one way by which he demonstrates righteousness is that when you believe in the Son as your Lord and personal Savior, you are justified. Because to become justified under the Old Testament was not fair. You had to be born a Jew. Not everybody was born a Jew. There were Gentiles. There were Gentiles who were not Jew. So what are they going to do? But now, God wants to be just. He wants to bring a common denominator between Jews and Gentiles, between the circumcised and the uncircumcised, that if all, irrespective of your status, irrespective of your descendancy, irrespective of your nationality, if you just have faith in Christ Jesus, you are justified. Period. For this reason, 
God had to demonstrate his righteousness by making his son an atoning sacrifice. What a price. Why? Number one, so that the sins that God passed over, he will forgive them. Because now there is a penalty for that sin, which is his son. And then number two, he will justify anybody, irrespective of where you come from, who has faith in Christ, in Christ Jesus. Now, after Paul had masterfully presented this gospel, see how he ended it in the last four verses. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we, then make the, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. So from these last four verses, since we receive righteousness by faith in Christ alone, there is no boasting. You are not saved by the law. You are not saved by works, but by the law of faith. And what is the law of faith? The law of faith is believing in Jesus Christ as the penalty for your sin. That's the law of faith. That's all. So today we can all become righteous, irrespective of, am I a seed of Abraham? Am I not a seed of Abraham? Irrespective of, am I circumcised or am I not circumcised? Irrespective of, do I belong to the commonwealth of Israel or I do not belong to the commonwealth of Israel? Today all of us can become saved irrespective of who gave the law to each other. You know, the Jews used to brag, we are special because God gave us the law. But, 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 but God is speaking through Apostle Paul in this scripture that everybody can come to me. Everybody can be declared righteous. Everybody can experience the gift of justification. Why? Because of my son. Not by works, not by law, not by nationality, not by descendancy, but by the law of faith. Believing in Jesus Christ as the atoning sacrifice, the propitiation for our sin. Paul burst their Bible and said, God is not only your God. He is also the God of the Gentiles too. He will justify both the circumcised and the uncircumcised by faith. The gospel is the common denominator. No man can be saved by the deeds of the law, save faith. Now, Paul ended saying something, that the law is not void through faith, but rather faith establishes the law. You, you might think Paul was going against the law whilst he was writing, but he wasn't. Understand Paul's reason for saying what he said. And when Paul also says that faith establishes the law, Apostle Paul is also not saying that we should live by the law. Are you understanding me? Now, understand Apostle Paul's reason for saying that he is not advocating us to live by the law. The reason why Apostle Paul is saying that faith establishes the law and it doesn't make the law void was the law anticipated the common gospel of justification by faith. Therefore, the gospel establishes the law by fulfilling its predictions. That's why faith establishes the law. So, in the Old Testament, you can see the sin offering, the trespass offering, the grain offering, the peace offering. All those offerings, they are shadows of Christ's redemptive work. So, in the Gospels, the fulfillment of those establishes the law that the Bible is indeed credible. We can see things like Moses telling Moses receiving the instruction from God, kill a lamp and then use the blood on the doorpost. And then when the angel of death passes by, when he doesn't see the blood, the, the blood on your doorpost, he will kill the firstborn. 
You see, that is a shadow. That is a prophetic picture of Christ's redemption. And it was fulfilled in the Gospels. So, faith establishes the law. Do you understand? So, it doesn't make it null and void. That's why for you to understand the Bible carefully, you have to read the Old and read the New. The Old is the shadow of the New Testament. The New Testament is the substance of the Old Testament. The law is the shadow of Christ. Christ is the substance of the law. That's why we need both of them. But the, the faith doesn't establish the law so that we will live by the law. What Paul is trying to say is that the Bible is credible because faith has established it by fulfilling its predictions. Amen. Down for tonight. Questions, contribution. So, next week we are going to do chapter 4. Now, Apostle Paul is going to go a bit further and talk about the father of the Jews. Was he justified by the law? Or was he justified by faith? So, Apostle Paul is now going to talk about that in chapter 4. You know, um, the Israelites, they really value Moses and Abraham. Because through Abraham, Israel was born. Through Abraham, a covenant was formed. Through Abraham, they received circumcision, which was a sign that God had made a covenant with them. And through Moses, they they received the law. So they really value these two people. Value these two people. So now, Paul is going to touch a sacred cow in chapter 4, talking about, let's talk about your father. If you don't believe about justification by faith, let's look at your father. Was your father justified by the law or was he justified by faith? So Apostle Paul is going to go ahead to build his case on that. So chapter 4, we are going to look at Abraham, the father of Jews. Was he justified by faith or justified by the law? Amen. So today, what we can take home is righteousness comes from the gospel. And it is through that we can avoid the wrath of God. God is a holy God and he has wrath. And his wrath is going to descend upon sin and uncleanness on the day of judgment. Amen. Done. I deserve some water. Teaching is hard. (laughs) Oh my God. Quiet. No questions. Contributions. Did God speak to you whilst I was teaching? Maybe you could share it with us. It will bless us. Okay. So what then would you say is the difference between righteousness and holiness? That's a good question. What will I say is the difference between righteousness and holiness? Holiness means we've been set apart. We've been set apart. We've come out of the masses to be set apart. Righteousness means that we have been freed from the penalty of sin. Redemption means we have been freed from sin. Now, to be free from the penalty of sin is righteousness. And then, holiness means we've been set apart. Consecrated, we've been set apart to live for God. Amen. Is your question answered? Yeah. Okay. We, we have the same question, but we, we couldn't write it. Okay. Said, yeah, we had it now. We got it. Okay. Thank you. All right. Pastor Robert, is your question answered? Yes, please. Thank you. All right. Lily has a question. All right, sure. Um, so my question is, um, is, is one a fruit of the other? It's like um, holiness, a fruit of righteousness, or they are both gifts from God? That's a very good question. Something like, is it something we 
and I know you just explained righteousness, right? That it's, yes. it's it has nothing to do with what we do. Mm. It's just it's just something that has been given to us. Mm. So asking is holiness the same? Is holiness also something that has just been given to us, or is it something that do you have to say that oh because I'm not sinful or because I don't indulge in sin then I'm holy? Or uh, I'm holy just because I have right standing with God. Amen. Great question. Let's read First Corinthians chapter one. First Corinthians chapter one. Great question. Verse twenty nine to thirty one. First Corinthians chapter one, verse twenty nine to thirty one. Anybody who is open and can read. Oh, I'll read it. Verse 29. To 31. Okay. That no flesh should glory in the presence of God, but of, him, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That it is written, he, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Amen. So, I, I, I don't know if you do remember holiness. I told you that wherever you see the word sanctification also means holiness. So, if you look at this word sanctification in the Greek, it's the same word as holiness. So, holiness is a gift. E- everything that we have received in the new creation is a gift. But we have to understand one thing about this New Testament thing. There is doctrine and then there is also what we are supposed to do. So it all all doesn't stop as gifts. There's also something you need to do. There's your parts. So if you read Paul's letters very carefully, he spends maybe the first half talking about doctrine and then the second part of his letter, he will talk about now that you understand who you are, this is what you are supposed to do. All of them. So for example, if you look at Ephesians, Chapters 1, 2, and 3, he talks to them about who they are in Christ, their identity. 4, 5, and 6, he talks to them about, now that you know who you are, let sin, uncleanness, fornication not be mentioned among you as you have become saints in the Lord. You know, so there is always that part. There is the duty, there is the responsibility, there is what we are supposed to do. And then we also have to understand the gift of what we have received. So, righteousness is a gift. It also doesn't mean we don't have to live righteously. Holiness is a gift. It also doesn't mean we don't have to live holy. There are many scriptures in the Bible which which talks about the the fruits of holy living. So, it's not just okay to just say, I have received the gift of holiness. You have to add faith to your beliefs. Otherwise, faith without works is dead. It's not just okay to say, I am the righteousness of God, and you keep falling into temptation, falling into temptation. What, what are you doing? Do something about it. There is a part that you need to play. So we have to understand these two facets. There are the instructions that God gives to us, the doctrine, what it has to do with our identity. And once we understand who we are in Christ, it becomes easy for us to now live out and carry out our identity. It's called faith with works. Otherwise, faith with our works is dead. Amen. Lily? Is it clear, Lily? She said yes. Okay. All right. Maybe both ask and say a statement, maybe. Sure. Okay, so uh, I was just thinking Old Testament, and I was thinking about um, how God separated his people, Israel. And he separated them and called them holy. Um, But they were not yet necessarily righteous. Would that be correct to say it that way? So it would be... I think it would maybe be like a prerequisite to be called holy 
before you can reap the rest of the spiritual benefits like uh, redemption and righteousness? Oh, okay. That's that's a good question. That's a good question. Now, because like when we get saved, right? Sorry, sorry. Oh, and yeah, like, talk, so talk. I'm thinking. Talk, I'm yeah. thinking. So like the same when we get saved. When we get saved, we are separated. Yeah. Automatically become holy first, and then righteousness. Then His blood gives us righteousness, right standing, redemption, salvation, and then every other spiritual blessing. But He calls us out first. Or, I'm just, I was just yeah. thinking. Yeah, it's, it's a good question. You know, the Israelites, because they were also under the dispensation of the law, they had to obey the righteous requirements of the law to be righteous. They couldn't do it. So God called them out. But actually, when God calls us out, we experience all these things simultaneously. There is nothing like right. this one comes first, that one comes second. Right. We experience everything at a go. Everything. That, that's why for Paul now to talk about chapter 4, he has to look at before the law, how it was. So when the law came into place, they had to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law to experience righteousness. They couldn't do it. And for this reason, Jesus Christ had to come and die on the cross. But when we read the story of Abraham, when God called out Abraham, God also made Abraham righteous. And he made him righteous not because he obeyed a set of laws. He made him righteous, Genesis 15 verse 6, because he believed. Right? So when when we receive Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, automatically all these forces come into play. It's not a matter of one, two, and three. All these forces come into place simultaneously. But in the case of the Israelites, they were already holy because God had called them out. But now they had, because they were under the dispensation of the law, it required they had to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law to become righteous. And that's why Jesus Christ came to die on the cross. Because that was a standard that nobody could achieve. And when you read Galatians chapter 2, it explains to us, why the law came into place. It came into place to let us know that no matter what we do, we will never be able to attain the high standard of righteousness. Amen. So when you are talking about that, you really have to look at dispensations. Amen. Okay. Good? All right. Amen. Okay. If we all don't have anything, let's just worship the Lord, okay? I want us to worship the Lord in a few minutes and then we close for tonight. Amen.
I know we are behind time, but can we worship the Lord for just one minute? Let's just worship Him. Open your mouth and begin to worship Him. He deserves all worship. Thank you, Lord. We worship you tonight, Lord. Thank you for the cross. God, we thank you that your son had to die to demonstrate your righteousness. Thank you. He died such an insufferable death, a shameful one, very inhumane, very harsh death. You did all this because you thought of me, you thought of us, you thought of the whole world. Even those that never even had an opportunity to pay for the penalty of their sin, your son paid it for them all. Thank you. Give you praise. Yeah, just God. Yeah, holy God. Thank you that you have saved them from the wrath to come. And you've made provision for us that we will be the righteousness of you. Thank you. Thank you. Father, I pray that even in the next few days as we celebrate Easter, may we have a deeper meaning into the significance of this event. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. God bless you guys. I have an announcement to give, but you know what? I'll give the announcements next week, okay? Because I've already taken 10 minutes of your time. Good night. Thank you all for coming. Blessings. Thank you all. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 <laughs> Pastor Chris. Yes. Nah.